0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited to be joined by Jeff Perkins, CMO and Head of Product at Park Mobile. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
1: Thanks, Garrett. Uh, great to be with you. That was by far the best opening I've ever been a part of in any of these marketing shows. That was that was awesome. I love it. Oh,
0: thank you. Let me see. Let me get uh let me get our guy here. Yo, Adam. Let me see your face for a second, man. You just got a shout out. <laughs> <This is laughs> by, the, the man behind the scenes. So will, <laughs> thank you, I'm Adam. Out, <laughs> well, I got to vent my customer. Uh, <laughs> I had my customer. Like, I treated you like customer success in the pre-interview because Park Mobile is like one of my favorite apps of late. Because every time I go surfing, I get to use it. Now, we had some good conversations offline. And one of the things I'm most curious about you, when I was prepping and looking at your website, is how do you think about designing a website for consumers who are trying to download the Park Mobile app while simultaneously trying to sell new parking providers? How, how in your mind, do you think of balancing that? And because I noticed you did some cheeky things like you have only get a demo once I get into the subfolder of your B2B side of your business. Because I could imagine if you had get a demo at the top and I'm trying to find a parking spot that causes problems. So like, how do you decide these things?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of ways to approach it. And it's it's pretty interesting when you have a consumer brand and a B2B brand and you're selling, you want consumers to download the app or start parking and then you need B2B guys to submit a lead form, um, <laughs> you know, and, and some companies just say like, we're just going to break up the websites and do them totally separately. Right. Uh, and so you see that a lot where, the, the those hybrid companies kind of have their set their b2c site and their b2b site um we felt like we can do it all together so we but we just have very strong definitions of are you a parking provider yeah. go here right no, and, a good job, and and we've had to play with it a lot and uh you know the last thing we want is our also our sales guys getting a lot of consumer inquiries too yeah. so we it's been kind of a a Kind of a learning curve but i think we've kind of figured it out we're constantly optimizing making tweaks to the website to make sure we're getting people to where they need to go and like one example is so we put like we put um chat on the b2b section of the website and um sometimes though consumers will stumble in there and so our sales guys are managing like conversations with angry consumers because <laughs> they in the app uh but but overall i i think we we've, we've figured out those right paths. And it goes to kind of something that's important whenever you're working on a website is the constant testing yeah. and optimization to make sure people are getting to the content you want them to get to. And and it's as easy a process as possible.
0: Now, before we get to content, cause I had some questions on that. Are there any other learnings that you could have maybe help anyone tuning in today to avoid? Cause first off, I want to commend, like, I love your idea of B2C and B2B on the same domain, it allows essentially all that direct traffic, all that PR, all of the B2C, the mass play, which is why we all have freemium products and marketing things like that, to help your B2B business. So first off, I love the decision to keep it together. I think that gives you so much more leverage for your B2B marketing and you don't have to separate it. And it feels like the two can work together. But what other learnings if someone's trying to do that and they have like a lot of market share on b2c what else did you learn of like how to kind of create separate paths for people
1: yeah I think I think probably the big things are um, using the tooling that's out there uh, to, to really figure out you know and study what people are doing what are the main areas they're clicking on on your website and and then moving things around to make sure you're you're optimizing for that so I, it's interesting. We used to have, um, are you a parking provider in a very prominent position on the website, um, and we. It's been kind of a, a an ongoing journey where we, what's the right place where we're getting we're making it easy for the B two B customers to find us, but we're not making a path where maybe a consumer will find their way there. And then it you their, did it below you,
0: the fold now, right? What I saw yeah. was like it was like a it's like a it's like a module below the fold. I thought it was brilliant. I did. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, and, and that was that. Became the kind of the sweet spot to to maximizing the number of B two B users who are visiting those sections, where while at the same time minimizing consumers accidentally finding themselves there. So so that that's been kind of the 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 exercise. I mean, for for people that are trying to do this, I, I think I always recommend um, you know using tools like uh, Crazy Egg or Optimizely, things that that let you test different yeah. things on the fly, things that show you analytically what people are clicking on, um, even doing things through like usertesting.com where you could set up some experiments and watch people as they're going through the site, watch either consumers or, or B2B clients as they're going through the site, make sure they can get to where you want them to get to um, as easily as possible. So, um, but I think you're right. I mean, when you, you, you know, when you have everything under one domain, it just works a lot harder for you and the search engines Um, you're able to create, you know, just, it, it just, you know, increases your domain authority. It's just a, I think a better way to go. And you just need to make sure, and you know, companies, a lot of companies do this, like Uber does it really well. um, Because, you know, when you're going to uber.com, you're either a a passenger or a driver. Right. And we, so we looked at a lot of those cases and modeled what we were doing uh, after some of those companies, just to make sure we were really, you know, implementing all the best practices when it comes to this.
0: No, and, and, It is interesting because like if you look at Uber, right, they're they're leading straight with the drivers now, even over the ride. And I think that's because of their brand and the amount of app downloads they have. Mm -hmm. Now, something interesting for you that I was curious about is you don't let me download from app or Android in one click. You have me submit my phone number and then you text me the link. Why is that? Like why not just like the app click link? Is there any reason for that?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's really built for people that are, um, it's different experiences on mobile browser versus desktop. Oh. So so you were on a desktop, you click download the app, it probably said, you know, give us your number because we...
0: Correct, yeah, it, yeah, it did. And I was like, why aren't they using the app buttons? But you're right, it would download them to my computer, yeah.
1: not yeah. my phone. So if you're on the mobile web, it pushes you right to the app store uh, where you download. So, so it's just, you know, so we really which is important. You have to take into account the type of browser someone is looking at at oh, uh, the, really the website, understand. right? Because, you know, if you're on a desktop, you have to have a bit of a different experience than if you're on a uh, mobile web uh, to make sure you're surfacing the, the right information, making sure the menus that are showing up are appropriate to the mobile oh. web experience versus the desktop experience.
0: That's such a cool thing, especially because if you think about this, it's a tangent slightly to your use case, but like, Product-led growth, right? All these SaaS companies want to do product-led growth and they now have all these like product tours and things Mm -hmm. you can do. But if that's your call to action on mobile, I bet you it's probably a pretty crappy experience trying to do a product tour on your iPhone compared to... Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if more SaaS Mm -hmm. companies should change what their call to actions are based on device.
1: They definitely, You definitely have to make a device appropriate, but you also... You have to look at it, um, and this is something that you're, you know, whether you use Google Analytics or whatever tools you have, look at the usage of your website based on device, right? So yeah. you know, because we're a, an app-based business, uh, about 80% of our website traffic is coming in on mobile devices, okay? So only 20% are actually doing what you do and viewing through the desktop. And, and so we need to make sure that we, we kind of take a mobile-first approach in our even our web experience
0: as
1: you should, yeah, right? yeah, because that's that's where the majority of users are viewing the site from. And, and so when you look at the site on a mobile browser, you'll notice, oh, this is you know it's a really nice site and on a mobile browser, really easy to use. Um, and then on the web, we, we you know the web gives you kind of a broader experience, surfaces more content, which it should, um, and, you know. So it's it's just two different it's really different paths for different users depending on the type of devices that they're uh, they're, they're accessing with.
0: I'm curious, I don't know if you have this data, but are you able to see what percent of users directly like so like I'm surfing, right? I drive into Newport Beach, I park, I'm like, oh crap, I gotta go to the thing. I'm like, oh real, it's dope. It's a park mobile one. Like that's actually how my brain works. Like, okay, silly, they got the app. I don't have to go do yeah. the whole thing. Well, I just went to the app store and downloaded the app. Do what percent of users in your mind go directly to the app store and download park mobile versus people who go to parkmobile, let's say.com and then download. It?
1: It's it's a high percentage start at the the web experience.
0: They do. They don't just go yeah. directly to the app. They don't just yeah. search the app store.
1: So so what the, the most common path that we see, uh, you know, because most people when they first use Park Mobile, they're at the parking spot. Right. They have a need. They're yeah. In that yeah. Moment of need. They see the sign. Right. They see the green sign. And 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 by the way, the green sign is the greatest marketing tactic. You you know, one of the great marketing tactics I've ever been involved in, like those signs, it's like when we do our brand awareness studies, the number one way people learn about Park Mobile by far signage. So, all our fancy digital ads.
0: How do you get the signage approved with the cities, though? Isn't that a nightmare?
1: No, the cities want the signage up because they want to drive mobile adoption. So, it, but, but what's great for us is those signs, and we have, um, we have millions of signs around the country because we're in 450 cities, right? Uh, and so we have basically millions of mini billboards in every city we're in and and people are like, Hey, green, park mobile green. I see those park mobile green and they pop really. That's why they're really that bright green. Do you pay
0: for the signs or do the signs, is it just the initial cost of the actual signage installation or how does, like, how do you think about the cost of that?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, it's just the cost to print them and install them.
0: Oh my God. So it's a full sunk cost advertising. It's like the definition of SEO, but in the physical world.
1: Yeah, but it it's a win win for us in the city because the city wants to drive mobile adoption. Right? They want more people playing on the mobile app because that's that just means there's more. It, it's easier for them to get paid. There's the you know credit card. The money funds go right to them. They don't have to have a a, a you know someone checking the meters for coins. That you know. So the more mobile adoption, the better. Also for for many cities, they have visions of getting more meters off the sidewalks to open up the sidewalks more. Right. So so the more mobile adoption, the fewer meters you need as a city. And less so- hardware, less maintenance, less operators. Yeah. And so they, they love they love putting you know, you know our signage up on poles or just stickers on the meters to make sure that people know that mobile pay is available in this area. And 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 so then people see that sign, they say, Oh, park mobile, cool. Google park mobile, or just type park mobile right into the browser. So either way, they're usually getting to parkmobile.io. And um, which is our website, they get there quick click off to the app store often. Or what's new for us is that we launched a, a mobile web version of our app as well. So right in that mobile browser now, if you don't want to download a full featured app, you just you just click, enter your zone number, you go through a mobile web experience, and you could check out with like a guest checkout uh, process if you don't want to go through the process of setting up an account.
0: I love that. Now, were you involved in creating the site?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we um, you know, so the marketing team uh, we have a design group within our marketing team and they build all the signage out. And so we spend a lot of time though, making sure um, you know, the signs are, are effective. They're doing, they're communicating what they need to communicate. There's always this, a little bit of art and science between how much content you put on the sign, how much is too much, how much is too little. But what the big pieces of it are that zone number and the park mobile oh. logo and the green color, the, like those three elements are the ones that are really important. But we've actually, we've recently added some elements to the signs, which are cool. Um, so we added uh, like a text to pay option. So if you don't wanna go to the website, you, do, you could just text a number, send oh, you okay. a link, right? We added QR code. So now scan the QR code, get right into the flow or download the app. So, so just offering basically more ways to pay than there have been in the past, because one one of the complaints we get um, for for the app is that you know people are ready to park. Okay, I got to download the app. Okay, I got to set up the account. Um, that's a very it's a very common complaint. It's like um, you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. You know, every time you fulfill a need, the need there's a there's a bigger need. Um, so it used to be people hated paying at the meters with coins. Right? They're like, I want to pay with credit card. So then, then all the hardware companies said, okay, now you can pay with credit cards. they are like, I don't want to pay with credit card. I want to pay on an app. And so then Park Mobile comes in and is like, okay, you now you can pay on an app. they are like, I don't want to pay on an app. I not want to pay on a mobile web browser. <laughs>
0: and so it's just you keep evolving to this yeah. what's easiest. Now, I have a thing that I'm very curious about because there is one flaw I have with the app and that's I can never remember. When you're in a city and you're in Newport and I want to know what your psychologist is, mm-hmm. I'm parking in Blackies, let's say, in one parking lot. And it's a different zone though if I park on 54th and I really struggle and I get the numbers confused when I'm in the app. How did you all think of the numbering of the zones? Because it's like 9617 then the ones like 9676 and then mm. my brain gets twisted. How did you guys come up with numbering it? I'm so curious on this. And that's why I was so excited. Like I was like, what's the insides of like, how do we choose? Like, cause you didn't use any letters right. so my mind. Like a letter could have helped me. I was just curious. Like, well, how do you guys think of it?
1: it's a highly scientific process i thought it would be uh, uh where we uh we we select a number and then it goes in sequential order so if it's 5001 then the next is 5002 <laughs> so it's 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 not a it's not a big science um usually we work <laughs> closely with uh the city um and they we say all right where are all the parking zones that we're gonna set up and well I'm that, always
0: terrified I'll put the wrong zone in. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh is it that zone or is it that I'm like, oh no, I messed up the zone. So I'll go over and I'll like I'll walk back over to the sign and I'll be like, okay, no, no,
1: I'm good. Yeah. It, it, it's in sequential order. Um you know usually what we try to do is you know not have the same zone, uh like a similar zone number on the same block just to just to get confused. Sometimes it doesn't always work out. But yeah, it's it's usually just um, a sequential order, uh, you know, I always advise people, you know, because the way we set it up, we try to make it as fast as possible to pay and, and get out of the app. But we have this confirmation screen. And I always tell people, I was like, you got to just double check on the confirmation screen. You got to d- double check two things, the right zone number and you've paid for the right car because the way they identify whether or not you paid is by license plate. Okay. And if you're like me, I have I have a couple different cars in my park. I have that's my car. wife's
0: car and have my car on the app.
1: Yeah, and and I have paid for the wrong car and I've gotten a ticket before. And and that's gotta
0: be a fun moment, Jeff. When it's your own app and you're just like, I'm telling you, the moment in your yeah. defense and in Park Mobile's defense, the lowest form of human intelligence is when you're in a parking lot. Like I do believe, like we are at our dumbest as society <laughs> in parking lots, and like, I don't know, like, my brain all of a sudden can't keep the numbers straight. We mess up the cars, like we're geniuses until we get that. Have you ever seen the people too trying to figure out the old school apps? You know, like it is hilarious. Our brains just lose all cognitive <laughs> in the parking lots.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Because, but if you get the wrong license plate number, then the guys who are enforcing parking there, they have no way of knowing that you actually paid. And it's, you know, you, you may get a ticket if you're, uh, if, if you don't time it right. So yeah, those are always my two pieces of it. like, always check the zone number and check the license plate number. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully there's, there's no issue from there. Cause I, you know, so it's weird. Like I, you know, I'm pretty active on social media. And so whenever people complain, they don't just complain to Park Mobile, they complain to me personally. <laughs> like,
0: that, they find you. Like, yeah. no, they, find me.
1: they find me, and so, but but, I would say nine times out of 10, the issue is related to either the wrong zone number entered or the wrong license plate entered, and, and you know, usually it's, you know, after we kind of go back and forth a little bit, they, they realize it was a little bit of a user error. Um, uh, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Judy
0: just is always eager to get what we're going
1: <laughs> right? It's 100% it
0: now. It is sour and sass. And I've been laughing and having so much fun that I haven't eaten any sour candy. Are you ready?
1: All right. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going lemon. What What are you going with?
0: Oh my God. I opened it beforehand, but I forget. I'm going to go, I'm going to say it's apple. Oh, boy. oh, that one's sour. And now, you have done two things I'm curious about. The first one's you, your head of product. Right. What do you do? I don't know anything about product. Like, bring me into the product world because I get the marketing world. Right. right.
1: How do you combine the two? I think you yeah. should. Right? Oh, product. No, I don't know if you have yeah. product either. <laughs> no. no uh, so, yeah, I joined Park Mobile in um, 2017. Last year, um, beginning of 2020, um, we, had, we had some changes in the, the leadership team. Our head of product left. And our CEO asked me to step in uh, to take to add that to my portfolio, oh. and I was yeah I was actually excited to do it because one, one thing I've always learned in my career is that you you advance your your career in your company by expanding your portfolio of work. I mean that's usually I mean that's that's really yes. and I also I'm just I'm a little bit ADD so I like new challenges and so yeah. that kind of worked for me too. Um, but we had a good product team that was already in place, some really talented people. Um, but wh- I think there's a lot of similarity between marketing and product, right? What is marketing all about? Understanding who the consumer, or the customer is, building programs to reach and influence that consumer or customer. Product's very similar in a way. It's who's the consumer, who's the customer, what are their needs in relation to product, yeah. and then then working with engineering to build products that meet their needs. And and so. Um, you know at park mobile we want to really be very close to the consumer and and our customer and build solutions for them so it didn't make a lot of sense i think to have you know me step in to lead up the product team uh, because we're so focused on building solutions that meet the needs of our uh, of our customers and consumers
0: not to be a cynic jeff but i mean we mm-hmm. all say that mm-hmm. and i think you're living it And the reason I'm saying that is like, we all say that every marketer, every CMO goes, you know, as long as you keep the, those customers, you know, stuff front and center, but they're so disconnected from product that they're lying and they don't realize they're lying. They don't, they're not trying to lie. It's that they're so disconnected. So it's actually one of the things I struggle with as a CEO at directive is I run an agency. The agency has been very successful yet. Our point of existence isn't for our own success. It's for our client's success. Right, and so I'm rebuilding the culture around client success, because what happens is, if agencies get bigger and they become more successful, the agencies become about the agency. It's the mm-hmm. same with companies, right? Like Park Mobile starts ending up being more about Park Mobile than it does about helping me find parking.
1: Right, right.
0: It's, it happens, especially with success, because the money starts flowing. You get really focused on culture, especially as you grow, and it becomes Park Mobile about Park Mobile. What I think is so cool is when you share both titles, you get to do marketing with what it's supposed to be, right? Which is help your whole point of marketing is helping more people find parking or more parking people find a better solution to offer parking, right? Like, so what have you set as your central KPI to connect your product team with your marketing team?
1: Yeah. Like for yeah. example,
0: I do it as North Star Metric Attainment. So mm-hmm. like what percent of my clients hit the goals they set up? to accomplish when they hired us. Right, right. For you, how do you think about combining product growth and marketing success so you share a KPI? Do you have anything yeah. like that?
1: We do. Um, so a lot of the key metrics that we drive the business by are you know acquisition and retention. And, and this is on the consumer side, right? Yeah. And those are two things that are where product and marketing need to be attached to the head. And and I'll, I'll give you some examples um You know, we we convert a pretty high percentage of our user of our downloads into accounts and and accounts into transactions. Yeah. And and so, so we're we're often patting ourselves on the back, like, hey, we we got the people through the sign up process. Well, they sign up, but you know, so it's about. I mean, it's it's in the eighty percent range of people creating an account to doing oh. a transaction. That's that's really high for for mobile apps. Yeah,
0: because your need um, is so high. That's what I love about it. it's like, well, what are they going to do? Get a ticket. Yeah, like you have like built you have built in like consequences for not right. fulfilling, right? Which is so cool,
1: right? But all right, so you you look at that and you say, all right, we're doing we're doing great there. But hey, if we eke out another one, two, three percent at the volumes of users, we we add a, a million new users uh, every two months, basically. So I saw so it. If we can eke out one, two, three percent, go from eighty to eighty three on conversion from account creation to transaction that is serious revenue for the company okay yeah. so a lot of our metrics on the the acquisition side it's it's not just about getting mass downloads it's about how many of those downloads convert into a transaction and then doing programs both uh, you know marketing programs so a lot of we a lot of the breaking points where people won't do a transaction are related to oh i problem with my credit card setup problem with there's some some issue there so then the marketing team has been doing constant messaging. So if you if you download the account, gave us a, an email address, but didn't do a transaction, that's when our marketing machine kicks in. And say, hey, we saw you downloaded, but you haven't set up your credit card. We saw you downloaded, you haven't added a car. And as we've been doing those kind of things in the user experience, it's really started to move the needle on our conversion of, of downloads to transactions. So that's on the the acquisition side. Then but on the, the enemy
0: though? Then Jeff, on the acquisition side, is the enemy the meter? Who's the enemy? Is it apathy? Is it the meter? Like who, yeah. who are you? Like, do you got what I'm saying? Cause like technically you're competing with the meter,
1: right? In right. this moment. Yep. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of a, actually, I I actually think the people who don't convert, download the app, but don't have the occasion to park. So that's what our research has indicated. Okay, so it's
0: not that, so they're not, so they're like, It's so like me, when I go to Blackies, I have the app and I just yeah. drive around because so I can't find a spot. Is that what's happening?
1: Yeah, it, it could be that, or it could be, um, you know, one of our biggest download days for the app is, is Saturday, um, but Saturday is a lower volume day for transactions overall. So you don't have as many people parking because it's a weekend, but a lot of people are downloading the app and they're downloading it because maybe they're planning a trip somewhere and they know that that place accepts park mobile, or they're just, you know, they're on the app store and they're like, oh, what's a popular app? And they see park mobile, like, that's cool. They might see an article or a, a, a news spot on TV saying mobile is coming to the neighborhood, and so there, there's some stimulus that is getting them to download the app, but they're not in the point of parking, and so they don't maybe finish the account and 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 do the transaction. And so what we want to make sure they do through that process is just uh, a few things. You know, make sure they've got all the information into the system so that they'll be ready when you know. So credit card uh, and um, and the car set up. And the other part is then starting to let them know all the places around them where they can use park mobile. And that's big too. Like, Oh, I didn't know I could use it at the, the local mall, or I didn't know it was available at the zoo, or I didn't know I could make a reservation at the stadium near me. So then it's starting to educate them on uh, all the you places they can use park mobile. And so as we've been doing more of those programs, that's just driven, you know, it, and again, it's not, we're not increasing conversions from, you know, from yeah. 50 to hundred, but those, those inches that we're getting equate to significant revenue over the course of 12 months. And so that's that's kind of a big area where product and marketing are working together. The other is on retention though. You know, So like most mobile apps, um, people use once and then you lose a, a high percentage of them. Right. And so, okay, what do you need to do there? And so then it's it's a lot of programs to make sure that we are going and reactivating dormant users, right? So you haven't used the app in six months, hey, Uh, Remember us, Park Mobile, we love you still, come back. Um, And then also we found a major point when people were um, leaving the app was when their credit card expires. So now we have all kinds of campaigns going to make sure people are updating their credit card if we know it's gonna expire soon. So it's those kind of things that are gonna drive higher retention for us over time and are gonna keep people using us.
0: I have a question for you, I got into the weeds here. So I I wanna hear what your take is. So you're doing something interesting. You're charging 99 cents for a pro version of the app that has some major utility, primarily that you can see what parking spots are available. What I found unique and I was curious about is wouldn't you make more money increasing app usage by increasing the utility of the app and ungating available parking spots so that then you could drive up app usage by a greater rate than the 99 cents? Or how do you think about that? Like, I was thinking about this a lot. I was like, okay, they're monetizing the app now, not just using it as like yeah. a chicken and the egg to get the B2B business, but wouldn't it be more effective if it's an app that we're making transaction fees on to then increase the utility of the app yeah. so that people are using it to discover new parking? Couldn't I drive more? I don't know, I just had this crazy idea while you are talking cause I did a bunch of prep for this, I was curious.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's eventually where we're gonna be. Um, so, if you think about it, like when a new car comes off the line, yeah. that new car always has the most stuff in it, right? Yeah. It's like you know, it's like yeah, oh, this car has nav and Wi-Fi and backup camera and sensors and all this stuff, um, and you got to get, and it's the premium model, right? And and then as that car has been out for a while, those premium features go into the base model, right. Yep. And so then you don't have to pay, like now, I mean, you almost can't get a car without a backup camera anymore. That Or used to be- with, uh, automatic
0: windows, right? Yeah, like-
1: I mean, th- those used to be things you had to pay a premium for. And so uh, the parking availability feature is, is kind of like that, where, uh, yes, uh, we're having people pay for it now, yeah. but over time, that'll go into the base product. And then the question is, what do we replace it with in our right. premium product? And and so we're looking at a couple things now that are super exciting around um, loyalty, so you park, you accrue points, you could use those points to get... doing
0: maybe- some really cool stuff on it. I was just so yeah. curious when you told me, that's why I asked, I think, earlier offline, I said, how do you make your money? And when you said transaction, that's what I was like, ooh, like, yeah. could we drive more app usage if... Yeah, that's, what, that's just where my brain went. I was just super curious. Yeah. Now, in closing, how do you think about advertising to parking... Like who's your POC? Like, right. is it a parking? Att- it's not a parking attendant. Is it a facilities no. manager? How do you, do you even do ads? Do you let the B two C drive that? Like, how do how do you guys drive the B two B demand when you have a B two C product?
1: Yeah. So the you know, w- the industry we work in from ab B two B point of view, it's you know it's the parking industry. So it's it's pretty it's 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 pretty small in a way as far as working it's in the industry, world, right because it's so focused around your ICP. Yeah. So like my last company uh, was called uh, QA Symphony. It's now called Tricentis. But so that company was in the software testing space. So they, had, they, they had a software, they did software for for QA testers, basically. So who, who makes software? Every company in the country makes software, basically. So it's like we could sell to anyone. So it was really hard to figure out, all right, who do we use? <laughs> um, whereas, you know, in parking, it's a lot easier. We want to talk to people who work in parking. So that could be, Parking operators there are a lot of large companies that do parking operations. They um, we want to talk to cities that have parking. We want to talk to event venues, uh, convention centers, school colleges and universities. So anyone who is selling parking, we want to talk to. But a lot of those people are part of this parking community, and so um, you know we have uh, you know basically three big trade shows every year that for the parking industry. Um, we have three major magazines for the parking industry. And then there's a lot of regional events and other things, but it, it you know, really the focus for us is on making sure we're we're in the conversation at all those events. So we do advertising and trade publications, we go to the trade shows, but because it's so targeted, um, it you know, it's easier than in a lot of other categories to reach the people you want to reach, um, which is you know, so it makes how
0: to charge a premium though, Jeff. So how do you swallow paying so freaking much? for these. Cause like me, I do the same thing. I only serve a SAS, right? So right. I go hit up Saster. I am mean, like, I want to advertise on your podcast. And it is not like they're just like, Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Since we have a, such yeah. a focused audience, we'd love to give you an affordable CPM. No, like they are just milking us dry. Everybody's <laughs> like, you know, like the, like the watering hole advertisers, the ones who really own a watering hole, yeah. they're just charging a premium. How do you deal with that? Do you just like eat it and say it makes sense or like,
1: yeah, you know, the way we look at it, it's like if we wanna be in front of people who work in parking, we need to be in these publications. Now, the parking publications and the traders are nowhere near as expensive as going to like the SASTR conference or the Salesforce conference or, or the Serious Decisions conference. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I know what that oh, costs, it, it's absurd. I, I actually feel bad for the companies <laughs> that have to compete in MarTech or Sales Tech or any of those categories because it's so expensive. Um, You know, our category, I feel, is is very, um, it's very uh, reasonable to to do ads and to
0: all that blue collar energy, kind of like a like a window washing type conference <laughs> or like a. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I have friends in those spaces too. Is it similar to that more blue collar esque type field?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would quite describe it as blue collar esque, but it's small. It's a small industry. So when you're in a small industry. Um, I mean, it's funny because it's small, but it, parking is huge. I mean, there's parking everywhere, but the industry yeah. itself and the people who work in the industry—it's—it's it's not, you know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's thousands of people, you know—not—not not hundreds of thousands. So it ends up being, um, you know, the the publications and the the advertising options are are limited, and they're, uh, you know, and because and because you're only reaching a couple thousand people, they can't charge you what. Um, you know, yeah. Saster could charge you for, for, <laughs> for events. Um, so, uh, you know, you're you're fortunate, but you know, I've been where you are too. Where you know, it's you know, my last company was like Gartner came calling about a trade show,
0: Forster,
1: you know, like like six figure investment. And I mean, when you're when you're a small shop, um, that becomes a, a huge part of your budget. And so, you know, with any with any marketing investment you're going to make, I mean. Y- you, you can't fall in love with like the brand name of what you're spending on. You have to look at, okay, did we get anything out of this? Yeah. Was this worth the investment? Um, yeah. And, and how do you measure
0: that though? With like a trade publication in your mind. Cause I, I think a lot of our clients right. struggle with that. Like how are you measuring the ROI of a trade publication in your mind?
1: Yeah, so we probably don't, the trade publications we look at is just more of just keeping our leadership presence in the industry. So, oh, but, too, yeah. but, but I, I would actually say, the cost to do that is not is not so much that it gives me heartburn. Like it's it's a it's a reasonable investment. I think I call
0: people. those the ones that even if they don't work, I'm willing to do because yeah. it's better not. It's better to be there than not to be there. And it's like the amount I'm willing to lose on it. Does that make sense? That's
1: kind of how yeah. I look at it. I mean, you know, in, in any in any marketing program, there's always things that you're going to do where you just have to go into it eyes wide open. Like, hey, this is probably I'm not going to be able to show a, a, a tangible result from this. But I know it's something that you know is it's kind of like taking your vitamins. It's good for our business to be there. Um, but you know especially with the trade show investments because that's where the expense really comes in because with trade shows you you got your booth and your sponsorship Why? And you, gotta, yeah, you gotta bring your team out and people play golf and dinners with clients and all that stuff. So those are always those are gonna be you know six figure marketing investments generally at the at the end of the show. But with that, we we do a really good job of tracking how many. Conversations do we have? How many deals did we close? Yeah. Um, and, and so, so that's an area where I know that the shows we go to are are really you know producing revenue for our business. And you know the other way that I look at it too, it's like you know there are three events a year where all of our clients go to. And so, what's the value of that? I mean, it's like it, it, you know the for us not to be there would be silly. That like, seems you know, that's so
0: funny, right? So what well, you have to look at. It. I love your thing of like it's like know. taking your vitamins. You're right. You don't like take your vitamins and be like. Whew, looking good right like it's just it's maintenance it's like putting right. an oil change and i think it's so funny how the this like crazy desire to optimize everything has made us worse at marketing yeah. because we like forget that a lot of it of marketing is just like getting your brand in front of the right people often across different mediums yeah. right yeah
1: and sometimes you know it, it the investment takes takes a long time to to really play out i mean one of the Big investments we made at QA Symphony when I was there was in um, the Atlassian Summit. So Atlassian, you know, make Jira. they every year they would have this thing called the Atlassian Summit. They bring together all their clients. So essentially, it was like, and we were we were a, a software company that integrated with Atlassian. Yeah. And so it was everyone we would want to talk to in one place at one time, and it was a huge investment, right? It was it was it was for us at a time we were a small startup. I mean, it was a six figure investment for us. Yeah, and we got back from the Atlassian Summit the first year we did it, and you know we we had we got a lot of leads, but nothing happened. And then about eighteen months later, we closed three of the biggest deals in company history um, that were all sourced from the Atlassian Summit. Of course. And so it showed, and and so we started to no- know. Okay, leads. Did you again. buy
0: the second year because you didn't close them till eighteen months? Did you go back, or did you not go back?
1: No, we we went back.
0: We okay, good.
1: Yeah, because those deals were already they were. They're like, in pipeline. Yeah, they're yeah. in pipeline, and we re- we finally recognized that. Oh, these are and those were six figure deals for us, which at the time was yeah it was a really good um, yeah. contract value. And so we we realized certain kind of clients. It just takes like if you go after enterprise clients, that that's a twenty four month sales cycle, forty eight month sales cycle, right? You're not going to close those deals in six I love months. That. Not, it's not our
0: really never pause ad campaigns in times that are shorter than your sales cycle because you don't know if it worked or not.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's something that you just have to, you, you have to really look closely at you know who you're selling to, um, and how do you need to kind of consistently be in front of them throughout the process, um, and, and so that's that's just something as as a marketer, there's no there's no formula for it. No, it's it's a hard thing sometimes to explain to your CEO and CFO. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you're doing the right things consistently over time, you know, it should, it should produce results that you can then say, hey, well, we know we spent this, but look at this that we've generated on the back end. It's always gonna be one-to-one, which is, it's what every CFO wants. Like I spent $100,000 in Google, I generate a million dollars in revenue in January. From right, yes. <laughs> right? That, that, that's, that's what they wanna hear. But the reality is those investments, uh, you know, if you're doing it the right way, uh, hopefully we'll pay out over time. and And if they're not paying out over time, then you, you you cut that budget and you put that money into something else. I love it. I love it
0: Jeff, I can do this all day. Unfortunately, we've gotta let you go. Um, but this has been amazing. Uh, for everybody who wants to follow along, Jeff, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, you could hit me up on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter. I'll um, also do uh, a quick plug if you don't mind. I have a yeah. book coming out uh, later uh, this year, probably summertime. It's a perfect beach read for marketing marketers. It's called How Not to Suck at Marketing. I love it. Um Yeah, and, and you could get learn more about it at how, how Not To Suck at the website. So, so right. go check that out and uh check out the book when it comes out.
0: Will do. Check it out, everybody. How to not suck at marketing.com by uh, Jeff Perkins. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jeff.
1: All right, Garrett. Thanks, man. Thanks for the candy.
0: Of course.